Hey everybody, this episode of Finding Freedom on the Lions of Liberty podcast is brought to you by the Pauls to the Wall podcast. Pauls to the Wall is hosted by two libertarian brothers and longtime supporters and listeners of this show, Mike and Nick Paul. Each episode, they interview experts on a whole variety of different topics. Some of their past guests include Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Pete Quinones, Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, and of course, some of the Lions of Liberty, myself and a fellow uh, host here of Electric Liberty Land, Brian McWilliams, have both been on the podcast. We had an awesome time. Of course, outside of the political discussion that they do on the show, they also interview experts on a lot of other interesting topics, such as history, cars, jujitsu, music, barbecue, and so much more, guys. You definitely want to check out this podcast. Paul's to the Wall can be found on all major podcast platforms. Check it out today. Again, that is Paul's to the Wall, P-A-U-L-S, to the Wall. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And man, I got another great show lined up for you guys today. Um, Before we get to it, just want to ask everyone, remind everyone, if you've been listening to the show for a while, or even if this is your first or second time listening and you like what you hear, please, we would really appreciate it if you would consider going to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to this on. Give it a five-star review. Leave it a or give it a five-star rating and leave us a nice little review would be appreciated. And hit that subscribe button. I mean, with uh, what Mark on his Monday show, Brian on his Wednesday show with Electric Liberty Land, and myself on uh, Thursdays with Finding Freedom, what we try to deliver to you is the best value you can get in a variety show uh, type podcast. And we're bringing you, you know, great interviews on Monday with leaders in philosophy and uh, the liberty movement and entrepreneurship. And Wednesday, Brian McWilliams is giving one of the most unique takes on uh, culture and current events and putting his comedic spin on things. Just a great show. And myself on Thursday, of course, what I've tried to do recently with my change is expand and really look at uh, you know, life as a whole, not just the criminal justice system, but through business ownership and through different things that we can do in our lives to apply the principles of liberty and overcome obstacles and find freedom in our own life. That's my goal with this show. So please support us. If you haven't yet, uh, really consider even supporting us and becoming a patron. We have some great giveaways, uh, you know, great stuff that you get access to, bonus content, stuff like that, all kinds of merchandise, depending on the level that you join. Access uh, at our Nittany level and above, you get to actually uh, produce a show and tell us what you want us to talk about. So check that out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And uh, I really hope you guys enjoy today's show. I got a really awesome guest for you today. All right, my guest today, I am joined by Himanshu Shaker. Uh, Himanshu lives in India, 
And we were connected by a, a mutual friend, uh, of course, a friend uh, of Lions of Liberty that, that you all know, uh, Anthony Samarhoff. And Hemanshu, he's here to share about uh, the devastating impact of the COVID lockdowns on his business and on other aspects of life in India. You know, I've past couple of weeks, I've brought on people in the United States, business owners who have talked about the effects um, on their business. And I think um, not just with COVID, but with really business in general and with the way we do things in the, in the United States, I think we get locked in a bubble. I think it's be very helpful to learn, um, especially in these trying times, about how people are impacted uh, differently or maybe in the same way um, with things like the, uh, the COVID lockdowns. So, Himanshu, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thank you. Thank you, John, for having me over here. And thanks, Anthony, for introducing us. Um, it's great. Yes. And uh, Anthony has been on uh, our Lions of Liberty show several times, and uh, he's, he's a great guy. So as soon as he reached out to me and uh, you know told me about your situation and about the situation in India, I, I jumped at the opportunity to, uh, to have you on. So before we get into really talking about the lockdowns and your business and just general life in India, how it is right now and how it's been impacted by the lockdowns and by COVID. Um, if you could just share, just to give my audience an idea about yourself and about life in India, if you could kind of just give give some background uh, on yourself. Great. Uh, so I'm Himanshu Shekhar. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I did my graduation and my studies in finance and corporate law, but later on I found my that my passion is into stories and travel. So I started traveling across India. And as you know, India is a subcontinent in itself. In itself. Like, it doesn't matter wherever you go. It's completely different in terms of its language, culture, art, people. And that kind of attracted me towards what this all thing really is, rather than sitting in just one cabin and doing the same thing every three months and every six months. So that's how slowly I started getting into India and its stories. I cycled across India in 2015 and 16 to learn more about it. And then finally, I decided to be in travel industry because that's a place where I can have a really good balance between the outdoor life and the indoor life. So it was 2016 when I completely jumped into the travel sector, the travel business, uh, started doing really nice cycle tours in Delhi known as Delhi Bicycle. Uh, also launched a really nice initiative known as Gyan Yatra, where we used to take people on the journeys or the trips where they can learn more for, from traveling. So we started doing these different initiatives, different experiments in travel, started creating new experiences, um, started working on the side of the sustainable tourism as well. And uh, I co-founded Sustainable Travel Network in 2018 with a couple of friends of mine. So everything was going amazing. It was like, you know, any early or late 20-year-old guy who is into entrepreneurship and want to do something, especially in a developing country like India, where now dreams are coming true, whatever we can imagine, rather than the generation of our parents. Uh, who compromised a lot on different things. Uh, we were the generation who really saw India changing, starting from 1990s to uh, right now. So there was a really big, you know, uh, faith and motivation that we can do anything, whatever we want. And uh, this, in this way, this whole entrepreneurship thing was helping us until, obviously, uh, pollution in Delhi and COVID started impacting us. Just to just to backtrack to give uh, my audience and myself a, a better picture of some of these changes in India from your parents' generation to your generation, can you give some yeah. some examples of of some of those things that that you've seen change? Oh yeah, a lot actually. So my parents they are from generation of nineteen seventies and sixties, 
and uh, obviously india was a closed economy till 1990s so as you know because india closed its gates again in 1970s so the when my parents were growing up they never saw anything really happening in india every for everything if you want to do any business you have to get like 100 different licenses so entrepreneurship was a big far off dream but finally when india opened up its gate for the world economy and the globalization in 1990s or 1991 to be precise things started changing and changing up and that was the year when uh, i was one year old um, yeah maybe a few months and then slowly all these changes started happening across different sectors in india different industries in india um the gates started opening up for doing business this whole entrepreneurship because indians in general we are a kind of people who are good into business uh but obviously we were not allowed to do business for a really long period of time especially after the independence of india and all this licenses which used to stop us from doing different things so starting from 1991 when the gates opened and liberalization and globalization happened we finally were able to do our own business get on to the world have global currencies over here the indian currencies went along with the market value rather than what it is going to be fixed at so there are a lot of small factors which help and now starting from as you know that one of the biggest reason that why india became a it superpower is that that india opened up its gate to the world and uh, people started coming in the foreign investment started coming in and now india is one of the biggest countries to receive foreign investments in the world so that's how i think we saw change things happening you know like we when we started growing up we never saw uh the phones coming in our home like those line phones with the wires we, it was straight from nothing to mobile phones for us oh wow yeah so we never saw that happening on a mass level level obviously there used to be those phones with super rich people but in general india never saw that revolution of phones in home hmm. it was straight from zero to mobile phone so that is what i'm telling you like we are the people who lived the generations of 1970s and 80s as well in initial 90s and now we are living the generation which is quite equal to the um the people of my age in western countries yeah yeah that, that's very interesting how how technology just it's able to almost just skipped sort sort of in yeah. india and probably and probably many many developing countries like that but that's uh that's interesting uh thing to reflect on so that's just to true. zero in on entrepreneurship for a minute and your own personal journey at what age i mean you're seeing this change happen in india these opportunities opening up at what yeah. age do you remember like a specific time or a moment or something that happened that made you really decide that you wanted to be an entrepreneur um yeah actually a lot of factors uh, one of the biggest factor was my dad was in indian air force and uh, when he left indian air force a lot of things started changing up like he came out in the civil world and obviously there was a scarcity of job and i literally saw him in 3 months he literally went all across india to find one single job and he was not able to get it and this is year 2003 wow. and that was the time when i was 13 or 14 so i decided that uh, this is something which we really need to work on and i'm not going to do like i'm going to be someone who is going to create job opportunities rather than looking for it because the kind of difficulty my dad faced is because there's not enough opportunities out there in the market and that's what i literally saw like uh, i was someone who was really good with computers so i used to send like his biodatas almost every week to 10 different countries so that he can get the next better job and all these things believe me i'm sending biodatas for my dad since the age of uh, 13 since <laughs> 2003 So I saw this happening in the and it was not just with my dad it was with a lot of people across India 
and that is what made me realize that whatever will happen i'm not going to and that's why i'm i told you like i worked for uh, one of the call centers in my university days for 15 days and that was it i was like mm, i'm not going to do that again uh that was i think a big motivation for me which kind of pushed me and a lot of people around india in some ways or other that hey we are going to do something on our own we are going to we are going to be someone who is going to create the opportunities rather than go out and looking for it it's very so i started my first company yeah i started my first company at the age of 20 which was a advertisement and media based company helping uh, small brands in small cities to design and develop advertisement with, so that they can compete with bigger brands mm-hmm. so that was so, the age of 20 so so you mentioned that there's been some some deregulation that has allowed this to happen you mentioned that there were a lot of different licenses used to have to get in the past and that's that, that's right. gone away how difficult is it to start a business in india now now it yeah, is now now, now. Uh, because i i'm also from the background of corporate law so i used to help companies to start uh, their things in india and uh, uh, it used to be really difficult when i started uh, uh, way back in uh, with my work in 2011 and 12 but slowly we saw this great movement happening now you can start a company in india in 7 days before there were regulation that you need minimum two directors to start a company now you can start a company with one person as well now we also have the provisions of limited liability partnerships so you can also start these partnerships uh, while still being in a limited liability position uh, obviously in a, now everything is on computer and online so you can start a company while sitting anywhere in india or anywhere in the world and uh, these things used to not be over there at all uh, even in early 2000s if you want to start a company in india it minimum used to take 50 to 60 days and now everything is possible within 7 to 10 days hmm. so things are changing at a really fast speed uh, i'll say that government and the whole environment is becoming much more startup friendly and more and more young people are coming into this uh, whole arena so it is helping us a lot to make this whole process faster what about with uh, regards to taxation or what's what's the just and we don't have to go into details here i do want yeah. to spend a lot a lot of time on covid but i'm trying to give everyone an idea of the differences business yeah. differences so like what's what's the tax structure like in india for an entrepreneur compared to for an employee is there a lot of benefit to be an entrepreneur do you get a lot of tax breaks or is it is it not so much so uh, actually it's not if you look at from a technical point of view there's not a really big difference to be an entrepreneur and to be uh, someone who is employed uh, because at the end entrepreneurs end up paying more taxes in a way in some ways or other um, it it is i think i'll say more of a freedom which gives entrepreneurs the kind of way which life which we want because still the regulations regarding the labor laws and if you're not working with a really good company it's not that great um so i think there are some benefits apart from taxations which which help uh, uh entrepreneur to be entrepreneur because it's still an employment you get most of the people are not even getting paid enough like according to the regulations which is there in the books so um, and taxation wise i think we end up paying uh, almost equal being entrepreneur or being an employee okay that's, that's that's good background i just wanted to give people an idea so turning to covid and the lockdowns i think uh covid first hit in india about the same time roughly as the united states or yes. or at least blew up um yeah. so this was a little over a year ago and if, just take us through uh you know what was you know what was the environment like uh the reaction to uh from the government um how were how were lockdowns implemented and how was your 
business impact? That, that, that's a lot to answer. So just, just kind yeah. of take it, take it over you want try to. to. Yeah, break it in different uh, levels. So yeah, COVID started over here in uh, Feb, uh, but uh, the Indian government was waiting because uh, uh, the ex-president of US was coming over here on a really big uh, campaign. And uh, so that's why the government waited till the time he's back to his country. Uh, hmm, and the moment he went back, yeah, the moment he went back, so everyone in India was aware that COVID cases are already there in India, but the government was not announcing it officially because there was this massive rally of Trump, which was about to happen in Feb. So everyone just waited. And we all were aware that the day he will go back, the next day we are going to get in our media that, hey, we have COVID cases in India now. And that's exactly what had happened. So then we started getting these COVID cases, but the government was still not that serious. They were like, oh, it's not a pandemic. It's not an epidemic. Like, we, can, we need not to be that serious. It's manageable. But obviously, there were experts who were warning the government starting from January and December. Uh, because if it is going to happen in India, it is going to be big because of the population and the congested amount of spaces which we have in India. So um, that's what happened. And slowly it started growing. And uh, obviously by the March end, everyone was aware that it's spreading at a really high speed. And again, I think the, another mistake which we did at the March end uh, in terms of our government is that we did a complete lockdown like Western countries uh, without taking in consideration that there are millions of laborers uh, who are going to stuck in these massive metro cities of India. And if they will not have uh, money, they are not going to survive even a week because these laborers, these, uh, these guys are work, they, they work in unorganized sectors. So mm -hmm. they earn their money by the day and they spend it by evening. And they again earn their money by the day and spend it by evening. So they are not in an organized sector to have specific amount of money. They, a lot of them, they even don't have bank accounts to receive direct benefits from the government. So what happened is that we got a nationwide lockdown with just a notice of four hours. And that was around in March last, last weeks of March. Um, and uh, what happened is like for a week, everyone stayed in the home, even these unorganized laborers. Uh, was was the us. lockdown, sorry to interrupt, but was the lockdown, was it strictly enforced? Were the, I mean, oh, yes. It, yeah. yeah? Yeah. So it was a kind of lockdown and India never saw anything like that before, right? So people, we are, we are people who are always outdoors, who are always outgoing. And we never saw anything like that. So it started with a one-day rehearsal, you can say, uh, which our prime minister called uh, the public curfew. So it was a 12-hour public curfew. No one was allowed on the road just to give an impression. And the same night, he came on the national television by 8 p.m. And he was like, hey, we are going to have a national lockdown starting from 12, p 12 in, in the midnight today. So it was a notice of four hours for a nationwide lockdown. Wow. The literally whole India was shut, stuck. Whatever was there, it was stuck. Like we never imagined happening like that because there are millions of, like literally millions of migratory laborers who were stuck in these cities, uh, hospital equipments, medical equipments, uh, like hundreds of different factors which we never uh, took into consideration before putting this nationwide lockdown. Every single city was shut. And uh, the thing which we where we went wrong is that uh, we just copied the Western model. Uh, but in West, it was really easy to do lockdowns because the population is segregated into small countries, not like 1 billion plus people in one single mm -hmm. country, right? And uh, obviously, uh, it was easy for Western countries to get the benefits straight into the bank account if people are stuck somewhere. But that was not the case in India. Um, but somehow, people had their calm. People waited for 15 days. 
But when they finally extended these lockdown for more than 15 days, these laborers, they literally came out from their home and started walking towards uh, the nearest bus stands or train stations. Um, and uh, they literally, they because I also live in New Delhi. Um, I left it just a few months ago, but I used to live in New Delhi and uh, I used to live quite close to an interstate bus terminus. And there I saw that how these uh, laborers started walking in lines and these lines used to be of miles. Wow. And yeah, like these pictures, those pictures were horrendous. Like um, when these people started walking in front of my home without food, without water, everyone you can imagine in these big cities started coming on the road, started giving them food, water. Um, the pictures and news are really bad and horrible. Uh, people were not able to sleep. Even I was not able to sleep for four days. Like literally, I was not able to sleep for even five minutes. for Just because of so many people yeah. walking by where you live. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was emotionally a really big burden. And uh, we just did whatever best we can. But you know what? We were also suffering because our business was shut and we were running out of finances. Uh, it was everything was so quick. Uh, it was it was kind of ex the days uh, we never expected in our life. But it happened. But uh, no one was talking about these migratory laborers at that point of time. And, you know, then what happened? When they reached the nearest bus stands or the railway stations, there was no buses because it was a nationwide lockdown. They started walking towards their home, which is like 300 miles, 400 wow. miles. And they had no, miles. no food, no water, unless people gave them no stuff, food, right? No water. Wow. Yeah, it is only people who were helping them on the roads. People of different cities, they were coming out and giving them their own rations giving them their own right. rice, biscuits, water, food, milk, whatever they can help with. So it was the general public who was coming on the street to help these migratory laborers who literally walked more than 400, 500, 800 miles. There are media stories that how a girl literally cycled from New Delhi to a small village like around 500 miles east from New Delhi uh, with uh, her father sitting on the back and she literally ride, rode that cycle almost thousand kilometer 1200 kilometers and this is just one story how, how many i mean I, I hate to ask but has it been reported how many people died from that? died on those roads yeah more than uh, see the official reports are really less uh, but uh, the road accidents which happened during that period of time when the country was in entire lockdown is more than two hundred thousand. oh my god a lot of people, like there's one incident that uh, these laborers, they were walking from one of the towns in central India towards their village somewhere in east. And because they were not aware about the roads, so they were just walking along with the railway tracks because they were aware that these railway tracks will take them straight to their home. Doesn't matter if it is 500 or 600 kilometers. And they were aware that trains are also not running. So they were just sleeping on that railway tracks because that, that was the safest place and the cleanest place to sleep. And then suddenly there was a train with goods. Hmm. And more than 20 people died. So, and then that's, the, that's, the, that's like the incidences which happened, which made us nights sleepless. And mm -hmm. uh, this is just one of the few incidents which happened. But this, you know, this migrant crisis, which happened in India last year and kind of went unnoticed, uh, is one of the biggest migrant movement which happened, uh, I'll say, in the last few decades. So, you know, fa fast forward what happened the rest of the year. Um, how long did India stay locked down for in, in that state? 
or, uh, in, or nationwide, I should say. Nationwide, it was around more or less two months. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there were still like uh, lockdowns and restrictions in phase manner, and which we started getting over from, uh, I will say, August or September. Hey, let's take a real quick break here. I want to tell you guys about another podcast that I've been listening to, really enjoying. Friend of the show, Matt McKinley, has a great show called Burn in Daylight. And I guarantee you, it is not like any other podcast that you're listening to because it's one of the only, maybe the only podcast out there that is about being a cowboy. Matt brings on people who are cowboys like himself to share stories and talk about the industry uh, tell tales and uh, just tell ridiculous jokes. Matt's a really funny guy. He has a great job with the show, and it is unique and interesting as shit. So please check it out. Burning daylight with Matt McKinley, and have 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 those you know laborers who left the the cities and gone to the villages. Have they returned to to the cities, or have, has it been have a lot stayed in in their villages? A lot of them. A lot of them stayed back in their villages. I'll say the return rate is around 30 to 40%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, with these uh, numbers going up again in India, like yesterday we had more than 300,000 infections in one single day. Uh, again, with these numbers going up in India, uh, a lot of them and restrictions started getting bigger and uh, stricter. Uh, a lot of them uh, started moving back to their village. So we got almost the same pictures, like, same picture again after a year, just two days ago. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think has, has led to this recent spike? I mean, I'm, I'm from the, the thinking, you know, of watching this virus in different countries throughout the world that yeah. honestly, it's just going to do what it's going to do. And there's, yeah. there's all these uh, lockdowns and mask mandates that governments put into practice. But I mean, you look at the data, you look at the trends over time and it's, it's like the, the, it's it's meaningless. Um, but but what, what's your perspective on that? Um, so see, what happened in India is that, uh, uh, as you know, that there are a lot of things happening in India. Maybe you are aware, maybe you are not aware. Uh, the right now with the government which is running India is the right wing government, okay. and a lot of different things are happening uh, on a political level, uh, which I will not go because I'm someone who is into the center of the political uh, feelings. But yeah. Uh, so what happened in India is like we started having these state elections. So in India, we have around 29 states. And we started having these state elections where we are going to choose the government which is going to run those states. And these elections started happening from October. So uh, these parties which are ruling these uh, states, or they wanted to do the campaigns and all these massive rallies. So they wanted to show that, okay, everything is normal in India now. And now we can get back to these massive rallies. Now we can... So the institutions started making the whole situation look normal. You know, these leaders started coming on these big stages with millions of people in front of them to do these rallies. Uh, because I don't know if it's, it's something similar, which happens in states where you get people into the stadium and the leaders talk about it. So something similar happens in India as well, mm-hmm. that these, these leaders make a big stage and talk about what they're going to do for the state for the next five years. So these rallies started happening in different states. And uh, millions of people started coming out uh, there in these rallies. So these states, these institutions, our government and leaders made this whole thing really look normal for uh, everyone. And one state after another, there are constant elections happening. And you know what? The irony is that there are elections 
still happening in India in two or three states. And the Home Minister of India uh, gave a, did three massive rallies today. So, oh, wow. And, yeah. And, you know, the numbers, these infection numbers, they are not coming from the states where these elections are happening. So the numbers are being controlled by the government right now uh, in the states where elections are happening so that they will say that, OK, there are no infection rate in these states. So we can go ahead and do these election rallies. But yeah, rest of the states, rest of the states in the country where elections are not happening, we can show numbers from these states. Yeah, so it's probably so, even, even much higher than what's being reported. much higher than it, what yeah. is being reported. So has, has a vaccine rollout begun in India? Vaccine rollout uh, started happening in India, which is good. Uh, it is also one of the cheapest in the world because India is producing as well more than 60 to 70 percent of vaccines in the world, uh, which is in a way is good for a massive population like India. So it is happening. Uh, people are now getting anyone who is uh, older than 45 is, is eligible to get their vaccines. Starting from May 1st, anyone who is uh, older than 18 will be eligible to get their vaccines. So it is happening. And which is at least a good news. Uh, let's hope that uh, after that, things will get back to normal for us. Yeah, cra- crazy times. So let's uh, let's focus in on the impact to, to you personally and in, in, in your business. Yeah. So um, give us an idea how, how big your business was before the COVID lockdowns. And then, you know, take us through what, what happened um, over time. Uh, so I'll say that... Uh, uh, I was in travel and tourism. We were doing like some of the nice experiences around North India. We were doing bike trips or uh, biking holidays, cycling holidays, and city cycle tours in New Delhi and around Delhi. Uh, it was going really good. One of the you know best business models to have, uh, known as Delhi Bicycle, and uh, we were doing around uh, 500 to 600 people every month uh, in and around Delhi. And uh, obviously, we never saw something like this coming. But we started having these cancellations uh, starting from December. So we started getting these emails and, hey, we are canceling our trip because of COVID. So we started having these impacts starting from December. Uh, But even before December, one of the things which started impacting us in the last few years is pollution. Uh, Because uh, I don't know if you're aware about it, but uh, this pollution across New Delhi and India is one of the uh, city pollution is one of the biggest in the world right now, which we start getting every winter, starting from uh, October and November. So we start getting that as well. It was already impacting us in a really big way. Uh, and then this COVID was like a final nail, nail in the mm. coffin, right? So that's what happened with COVID. And uh, we start getting these massive cancellations starting from Jan. And you know what? Um, on one of the days in uh, March, March 14th, we had one of our biggest trips, around 100 people from uh, Germany. And uh, we got that massive cancellation. And after that cancellation, that was our last trip mm. slash cancellation, which happened on that day, uh, which was a big shock for us. Uh, slowly, what, will ha- what happened is like we went in uh, lockdown in the next five to six days. We started closing our office from uh, March 14th. And uh, what happened is that uh, slowly it started impacting my team. Uh, we were a team of around 20 people uh, based in New Delhi, including our tour leaders, the co-guides, the helpers, the office staff, everyone. So, and this is just like I'm telling the story of one of the, uh, you know, humble tour companies in based in New Delhi. So, and uh, it started impacting my team. It started impacting everyone around us. Uh, we were forced to close down our office by May or June, May last week or June first week. 
So uh, finally, we closed our office. We were we were forced to shut it because obviously mm. we cannot afford to pay the rents. Um, somehow, uh, I managed as long as I can to pay the co-guides and helpers in my team because they come from the lowest strata of economy in uh, our country, uh, from the smallest of the villages and the tribal areas you can imagine. So uh, I tried my best to uh, help them as long as I can. And uh, things slowly started impacting at that level as well, where uh, we were not even able to afford um, even $100 a month to give them um, in terms of our financial uh, models. It was mm -hmm. all empty. It was all like our bank accounts were seized because we were not able to have the minimum balance. And uh, that's how things started impacting uh, us in a really bad way. And uh, by July or August, we kind of lost the hope that we are going to again uh, start or do something like that. Uh, but slowly things started uh, coming back to life starting from October. And uh, people from the embassies based in India, they started coming back on our tours. And we started doing trips outside Delhi in a safe way because countryside is still safer than the city areas. And then people started also showing up for the city tours. Um, obviously, the numbers were going down. And finally, there was a day in Delhi when we had just 100 infections or in a day. So we thought that things will get back to normal. And uh, hence, we started working on some new ventures, started doing some new experiments with domestic travelers because we were not sure that when international travelers will start coming back to India. Uh, but yes, the second wave is now hitting us even uh, harder. Mm -hmm. So that's how team was able to survive or kind of manage the COVID first wave. So so what's what's your status? Are there any tours right now or are you pretty much shut down for the time being? It's, it's zero. Zero, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was zero from uh, March 20 to September 21. And between September and March, again, between September and March, September 2020 to March 21, we did around 100 people in that in those many months. Um, but yeah, that is, that's it. And again, back to zero. Wow. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm sure this is impacting, you know, businesses, obviously, th throughout Oh, India yes. and it's uh, yeah. So has, I cannot I, like. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was saying that I cannot even explain that how. So this is a position of a tourism company who is based in New Delhi, right? So mm -hmm. at least I'm able to reach out to people, raise my voice, and do these things. But there are people in smaller towns and smaller cities. You know, India we have more than three thousand towns and cities, and there are numbers of touristic spots uh, which people still need to see and visit. And the tour guides working over there, they are like literally crying. They don't have money. They are working like daily laborers. They are going and uh, doing any odd job which they can find. Uh, because somehow they have to sustain their families because they don't know anything else than this. They don't know anything else than tourism. They don't know anything else than stories. And obviously, there's no uh, government support. Um, people are not getting any direct benefits into their bank accounts. So people are just doing any odd job which they can find. What kind of impact do you think this is going to have, you know, long term on, on India? Did you foresee this? Assuming that things get back to you know, more of a closer to normal, uh, you know, situation in the next few months, do you foresee India bouncing back? Or do you think there's, you know, certain things that are, are going to take quite a while to, uh, to come back to how they were? Um. I will say that, uh, see, what is happening on tourism on ground is that the supply chains are gone. Right. There are a lot of companies, they already shut their downs, uh, shut down their doors permanently. 
Um, there are a lot of big DMCs even I know and they are not working anymore. There are a lot of people who used to work in these companies because company at the end is all about people. So there are a lot of people who used to work in these companies but they are not working. They are in completely different fields. So um, even to get back to the normal rate which we used to have in the late 2019 or early 2020, I think it will take at least three to four years to get back to even those normal rates of people, of number, volume, money, whatever. So the recovery rate is going to be a bit slow. And because a lot of people did a permanent exit, so it is going to impact uh, the industry in the long run, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the same same way in the States we're dealing with things like that. As you see, I think I think with a lot of, businesses being impacted, you know, negatively going out of business, there are going to be different opportunities that do reveal themselves to, uh, to entrepreneurs, but, right. um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be rough either way you look at it going forward the next, next couple of years. Um, That's one, true. Th- one thing that I, I did want to ask you about, cause, uh, Anthony brought it up talking about education in India and, you know, with the lockdowns and I'm assuming schools were, were mostly shut down that um, yeah. children have really been unable to do uh, much remote learning because they don't have the data plans or the cell phones to, uh, to do so. Could, can you give, uh, give us some perspective on that? Yeah, that's also a really uh, uh, topic where, or an area where we have the greatest devastations, I will say. Uh, education suffered a lot in India. Um, it is because uh, a lot of people, they went from, you know, the classes to uh, the online mode. But obviously, India is, again, as I said, India is not its 10 or 20 big cities. India is 3,000 small cities and towns and more than 600,000 villages. And uh, I'm talking about the people of these towns and these villages and the kids of these towns and these villages. Um there is uh, data that more than 30% of the kids dropped out from the schools permanently. Wow. And uh, they are not going to go back to the schools even if they start again. Uh, because again, they are now helping their parents to uh, earn the livelihood and all these things. Uh, the kids who were able to sustain because education is a really uh, close topic to the heart of the parents in India. And they are spending really good money. They are, a lot of time, they, are, they end up spending more than 30% of their salaries on their kids' monthly tuitions and education fees. So uh, education is a really big thing, especially with the middle class in India. Uh, But again, there was an issue that not everyone is connected with technology. And even if they are connected with technology, um, they are not able to have uh, these online classes and all these things. So a lot of the places, teachers, uh, what they did is they started sending uh, assignments based on WhatsApp and started sending voice notes on WhatsApp. But then it is really uh, hard to get uh, the results from the student side. You know, not everyone is going to respond. And another thing is not everyone is having smartphones. And even mm-hmm. if everyone is having smartphone and if there are three kids in a household and three of them are in three different classes or three different levels, it's hard for them to have that one device and three of them can study at the same point of time because usually the classes are going at the same point of time. Um, Apart from this, I saw from my personal experience that data and internet is cheapest in the world right now in India. But still, it was hard for these parents to buy a plan which is like 1.5 GB or 2 GB per day uh, because even that was expensive for these parents. So, And also, at the same point in time, when they're losing their income, when they're losing their money because of this whole pandemic mm-hmm. situation. 
So education at large. So again, I'm not talking about these 10, 20 big cities where we have amazing schools, really nice infrastructure. We have high speed internet. Um, I'm talking about these small 3000 towns and villages and the kids over there. Um, that how they are now out of the grid of this education and how it is going to impact India in long term. That uh, what, whatever we lost, you know, for the last one year in terms of education, people, the kids, are, a lot of them are not going to go back to the schools. So it is going to impact in a really big way. That's, that's extremely sad. And I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there talking about I mean, this is really generationally. You're saying, you know, one in three kids is not going to go back from these from these, you know, villages. You know, yeah. imagine the. I hate to put it this way, but imagine the because it's, it's resource. People are resources. You know, people are have ideas and they bring those ideas forward. And and to to have a third of those people not go forward with education and maybe those I'm sure they would still contribute to life going forward in, in some way, but uh, but not being able to. You know, get get into the uh, you know highest levels of of the economy and work. Right, it's definitely detrimental for sure. Very sad. It is like one of the examples which I was thinking is that you know what happens is like uh, when these kids who were especially walking with these migrant laborers, there were thousands and thousands of kids who were walking and running and cycling with these migrant labor. I was just thinking one simple thing that hey, what is going to happen to these kids? What is what kind of traumas they are going to go through that when they are going to see that they're parents are not able to even afford and they're just walking in a really the worst condition and then they see these police guys coming up with their batons and beating these guys for not wearing masks. So what is going to happen with the confidence level with these kids? Are they ever going to be an uh, asset to the nation? Are they just going to be a liability who will always going to, you know, stay in a trauma and not being able to contribute anything in a way? So in a way, we are wasting our resources. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is going to be a big problem uh, worldwide with situations like this. I, I know in the U.S., I mean, there's been a lot of uh, high school-aged kids, you know, between the ages of, I don't know, 13 to, to 18, that essentially they've, they've dropped out of school because they, they had to go to work. I mean, maybe one of their parents lost their job and they were able to get a job and just to support their family. So rather than stay home and do the online learning, they wow. just dropped out and started working. So, I mean, this is this is something that's going to be uh, something to look at, um, and definitely long term impacts worldwide. But uh, yeah, so I, I did want to uh, ask you to if you could share your your business your uh, with you know with my audience here. Let them know if anyone does travel to India, uh, how they can uh, use your uh, your tourism services or uh, you know forward on to a friend who's traveling. So. Plug away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If anyone is traveling to India, like uh, uh, they can find me on uh, social media and my blog known as hrthetraveler.com. Or uh, I have this uh, really amazing website known as Delhi Bicycle, D E L H I B Y C Y C L E.com. Or social media handle on Instagram is hrthetraveler. So um, I'm, I'm someone who is really fascinated by the stories of India. And that's what I do. I share these stories with the people. And I'm also planning to start uh, these uh, online storytelling sessions about India with one topic mm. every week. And uh, I'll post it on my blog, hrthetraveler.com, details as well over there. So that's like one of the ways through which I'm trying to, uh, you know, generate some financial backup again and uh, help my team to stand back to its 
ground. So that's what the plan is to start again. Let's see how this will turn around for us. That, that made me think of a question. So when, when, when you're marketing your uh, your tourism, wh- what typically is your most effective marketing? Is it, uh, I mean, is I don't know if there's a lot of, you know, like online marketing in India right now, or is it word of mouth that most people find you, or is it, uh, you know, some other form of marketing? So uh, uh, with Daily Bicycle, uh, what helps us is uh, word of mouth advertisement. Because the kind of trust and the kind of experience which we designed is was the was one of the most unique experience in the world. And I'm telling you, John, if you even see a two-minute video of our old Delhi cycle tour, it's one mm-hmm. of the most fascinating things even to see. And to experience that for four hours in the middle of old Delhi, it's 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 the organized chaos in the world. So uh, the kind of experience which we designed and it was one of the first experiences in the world to design something like this in the middle of the crowd. It's like you 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 have the feeling of being James Bond. And doing That's all awesome. these things adventure in a city. <laughs> yeah. So word of mouth helped us a lot. Online platforms like TripAdvisor helped us a lot. And we became a big hit between the embassies in uh, New Delhi. So the word started going to all these countries outside. We even hosted uh, the Prime Minister of Netherlands. In fact, in 2018, I hosted the CEO of Netflix, Reid Hashting, on my tour. Really? Um uh, yeah, I, I just heard I just heard him interviewed on another podcast a couple of weeks ago. That's that's funny. Yeah. Oh God, you could have <laughs> asked him about, about his old daily tour. <laughs> so that's how things started working for us, and this is one of the really amazing and unique concepts which we designed, and that's why it's a kind of dream for me and for my team, and that's why I want to make it stand again at any cost, and we are trying our best. That's that's very cool, and I, I mean, I'm sure with that with that attitude and with uh, you know you, the the body of work and success that you've had, and you know people talking about your business, you know, I'm sure that you will uh, you know make it through this and come out stronger on the other end. For sure, John. Thanks for this. Well, th- thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for sharing about yourself, about India, and uh, you know I think this is this has been eye opening for me, and I've learned a lot, and I know my audience has too, and. You know, I'd love to have you back on in a in a few months or a year or yeah. so, and uh, we can talk about um, you know what's new, and hopefully we can have this whole COVID thing behind us by then. Yes, hopefully it's it's getting with the second wave in India, it's getting really bad for us, but uh, still hopeful. And uh, thank you for having me over here, and hope to host you someday as well in India. That would be that would be amazing. All right, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you very much. Hey, just one quick note here after the show about the interview. Uh, Hermanshu reached out to me and uh, sent me something really cool that he's doing that you guys should check out. You can support him, support his team, support his business over there in India as they struggle through these lockdown times with everything going on. I mean, COVID is really bad in India right now. So check this out. Every Sunday... He is going to be doing virtual tours on different um, aspects, different parts of, of India, in Indian culture. And you can go to his blog at hrthetraveler.com. I'll also link to the specific page on the show notes page for this episode of Lines of Liberty. And the next uh, several Sundays, he's going to be taking you through um, different themes. So the uh, theme last Sunday was Old Delhi, Mughals, and the Taj Mahal. Um, next Sunday, Mughals, British Independence. Um, I'm probably mispronouncing everything, but he's going to be talking about diversity in India, stories of yogis, of Himalayas and yoga. Um, just really cool stuff. And obviously, I haven't 
had the uh, the pleasure of going on a tour with uh, Herman Shu, but he's one of the best in the business. Great opportunity. It's only ten dollars to opt into these and start uh, being able to to experience. Uh, parts of India, just a really incredible uh, part of the world, and also help out a, a great guy who uh, needs help right now, and um, people in India need our help. So check this out, hrthetraveler.com. All right, guys, taking a quick break here. Last week, I talked to you about uh, Tyler Colford and his new song, also known as Crypto Man. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track. You know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's a really, really interesting track. The video dropped this past week. It is amazing, too. Actually, the Taxation is Death mug that we sell in the Lions of Liberty store, lionsofliberty.store. You can pick yours up today. Makes the debut in the video. Going to link to the video on the show notes page. But please, please, on top of that, of course, like the video, share the video. Please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man. And please like this song, share with your friends. And it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app, you know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, if you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks. Or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And If you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a Taxation is Death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a Wax On Tax Off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning. 